Today on the Cameron Journal podcast, Basic Income. This is the finale for season two. This is the final episode. I am so glad to have taken you guys on this journey with me through this whole season. We've talked about so much. We've talked about cars, interstates, banks, railroads, so much. Um, I recorded all of these episodes in a day and a half. So I have been... (laughs) just reading, reading, reading scripts and articles and everything. So I'm glad to get this one done because this means I'm done recording. And also this means season two is a wrap. So you'll be listening to this months after I've recorded it, but um, that's okay. So today it's universal basic income, which means we're going to talk about with Andrew Yang and the Yang gang and all that sort of thing. We're going to talk about if we really should just give people free money. So it's the Cameron Journal podcast. Let's go. This is the Cameron Journal Podcast. It's a place where we talk about important things. It's a place where we bring a little slice of the news to you. And it's a place where we do important things, have important conversations. It's also things that I like to talk about. My name is Cameron Cowan, and this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. flagship proposal is a freedom dividend of $1,000 a month for every American adult starting at age 18. So that means that you would receive $1,000 a month every month. And this is a renaming of something called universal basic income, a policy that's been with the country since our founding. Thomas Paine was for it. He called it the citizen's dividend. Martin Luther King fought for it in 1967 in his book, Chaos Our Community. And it is what he was fighting for every day up to the day he was assassinated in 1968. Milton Friedman and a thousand economists signed a study saying this would be tremendous for America. And it even passed the US House of Representatives twice in 1971. It came this close to being law. So this is not as radical as, as you might think. 44% of American jobs will be subject to automation in the next 20 to 30 years, 20 to 30 percent in the next 10 to 20 years. I mean, think about what that means. A sign in a window can be a sign of the times. And the one emblazoned outside Cafe X in San Francisco says it all. Robotic coffee bar. Now, we've heard for years that robots are coming for our jobs, eventually. And maybe that's why no one here seemed particularly surprised at being handed their machine-made macchiata. That said, it is pretty remarkable. This one-armed barista can crank out about 120 drinks an hour with few, if any, mistakes. If you're lucky, you might even get a wave. It's not a bad-looking future, 
Unless you're a human barista, that is, in which case, this all might have you feeling a little insecure about your job. The best estimate is about 30% of all jobs that people now do will be lost to technology. But most of those will be replaced by new jobs. The real problem is that the new jobs won't pay as much as the jobs that are lost. Robert Reich was the labor secretary under President Clinton. Just like he says, even at Cafe X, there are humans being paid to work alongside technology. But a seismic shift is coming, warns Reich, that will force us to look at work in a whole new way. Work gives structure and meaning to people's lives. And if we don't have to work, are people going to become philosophers, painters, artists? Are they going to be involved in their communities, do voluntary work? Or are they just going to sit around watching television? And we really don't know that answer, right? We don't know. What we do know is the income disparity in this country will likely only grow. And that has some suggesting a radical idea. Universal basic income, a guaranteed wage for everyone, working or not, no strings attached. There are all kinds of mysteries and potential flaws with regard to universal basic income. But it's inevitable. We're going to have to seriously consider universal basic income. It's nothing new. Thomas More saw it as part of his fictional utopia as early as the 16th century. Richard Nixon once flirted with the idea. But perhaps its most eloquent spokesman was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Now one of the answers, it seems to me, is a guaranteed annual income, a guaranteed minimum income for all people and for all families of our country. On the face of it, this notion of just giving people free money, it sounds pretty simple and it sounds pretty attractive. Mm -hmm. The problem is it's not free. There are trade-offs. In order to finance something meaningful as a basic income for truly poor people would require us to find significant amount of additional revenue. Where would we find that? Professor Laura Tyson teaches economics at UC Berkeley and says even if every other social safety net program was cannibalized to pay for it, the math still won't add up. Let's just take a simple example. $10,000 a year, 300 million people. That's $3 trillion. $3 trillion. $3 trillion. The budget is about four. So that's three-fourths of the entire federal budget. A number of places have tested the idea on a much smaller scale, mind you. But so far, economists say none of those tests has been scientifically rigorous enough to determine much of anything. Which is why a lot of people are now looking at Stockton, California. Growing up, my goal was to leave Stockton and never come back, actually. There's a new mayor here, Michael Tubbs, just 26 when he was elected, having gotten the job based in part on his promise to improve the economy. 25% of our population lives in poverty, but I would argue that another 25 to 30% are just one paycheck away. He thought, what if he could provide that one extra paycheck? A payout not generous enough to encourage people to stop working, but big enough to give some financial stability. I'm not saying give everyone a Mercedes-Benz or give everyone a yacht or, or give everyone a private jet to travel to meetings to. I'm saying give everyone an income floor so that they're able to make decisions to provide for themselves and their families. He partnered with the Economic Security Project, an organization chaired in part by Chris Hughes, one of the co-founders of Facebook, who's written extensively about the basic income idea. Starting this fall, 
His group will underwrite an 18-month experiment in Stockton that will give $500 a month to about 100 families and see what they do with it. Tubbs knows it's not without its risks. It's no strings attached. You don't know and have no control over what people will do with the $500. Luisa Castagnon has a pretty good idea. It would put a little bit of relief on our stress, you know, let us breathe a little bit. Um, I don't even remember the last time I took my kids to the movies. Have a good day. She works for minimum wage at a Stockton hey, elementary hey, school hey. as both crossing guard <laughs> and playground yeah, monitor. She's not sure if she'll be one of the ones getting the money, but she hopes whoever does will take the experiment seriously. Don't go blow it on something dumb. Use it to get yourself out of debt. Use it to get yourself ahead. The plausibility of the basic income idea is still a matter of some pretty basic debate. It's a big investment with big unanswered questions. But for people like Mayor Tubbs, the economic challenges that lie ahead may be even bigger. I want answers to these questions. I want to really be able to say, like, no, I tried this in my city, and this is what happened. Good or bad. Good, good or bad. But I, being an internal optimist and knowing the folks in my city, I'm very confident that it's going to be good. Universal basic income. In the 2020 election, this topic became front and center thanks to Andrew Yang, who ran for the Democratic nomination for president. In this episode, we're going to talk about the universal basic income, how it'll affect the economy, and how it might radically change life for people and for our economy. Andrew Yang proposed universal basic income as a stopgap measure for the coming employment apocalypse. As we all know, more and more work is being automated. Unlike the last Industrial Revolution, which shifted workers from agricultural jobs to industrial jobs in the cities and created more jobs than it destroyed, the so-called Fourth Industrial Revolution will likely not create as many jobs as it destroys. Many of those jobs simply will be gone and they aren't coming back. This is particularly true as self-driving trucks and cars begin to come online. If they ever do, that's a whole other story. Driving represents millions of workers and is one of the few pathways to the middle class for those who do not have a college degree. I have stated that one of the chief problems of the modern economy is that the industries creating jobs are not creating jobs for the non-college educated people. They are creating highly technical jobs that require further training that many workers don't have and can't afford to get. Yang proposed universal basic income as a way to transition our economy from an economy primarily based on deriving income from labor. UBI seems to be the universal problem solver for a host of issues within our society, especially income inequality. He also noted, and his point is well taken, is that many people do work that is not compensated. He used his wife as an example. She stays home full time to care for their children, one of whom has a special need, and her work is uncompensated by society. Under a UBI system, she would receive money from the government regardless, and therefore her work would begin to be compensated. This would give families facing childcare concerns greater flexibility. How many families would be willing to let one parent stay home with small children if they were still bringing in an income from the government? That's the Yang argument for universal basic income. But before we think about the arguments, let's review and find out what is universal basic income. 
Universal basic income became more popular because of the pandemic. The discussion was well underway, but the pandemic forced governments to stabilize their economies that were being upset as a result of the virus. In a rare instance of fiscal largesse, the government sent out thousands of dollars per household of stimulus checks. Other countries went one step further and kept the payments going. Spain and Canada paid people consistently throughout the pandemic, with the Spanish paying out just over 1,000 euros and Canada paying out 2,000 Canadian dollars per month. Those countries have basically done a giant experiment with what a universal basic income might look like. And it's exactly that. Every month, regardless of your job, the government will send you a check. The concept of universal basic income is simple. Every adult in the U.S. would get some amount, $2,000 under the Yang plan, every month, no strings attached and no questions asked. When Yang was running for president, he proposed eliminating almost all welfare programs to pay for this. Instead of using money for specific purposes in a sort of government paternalism, this would give adults the choice to use the government funds however they wanted, and since it's universal, it would provide a cushion below which no one would fall. Everyone, regardless of their employment status or anything else, would know every month they would have $2,000 to pay for their basic needs. While this would allow people some basic money to live on, proponents of UBI say that it's high enough to help people, but low enough that there would still be incentive to work because living on $24,000 a year isn't that fun. On the bright side, low-wage workers would have more money for rent and other expenses, and the middle class would have fresh income with which to invest in their children, buy property, or simply not live paycheck to paycheck. As far as the wealth goes, <clears throat> This would be universal. Um, I suppose that many people would even invest if they were making enough money from their job. For married couples, this arrangement would be quite profitable. A couple would get together $4,000 a month or around $48,000 a year. It's not quite clear if the money would be taxable, but possibly the money could be tax-free. Although universal basic income seems like a brand new and entirely esoteric concept, it really isn't. In fact, there's already a universal basic income program operated by the federal government. After Medicare, it's the largest program by spending in the government. Savvy listeners will already know where I'm going with this. It's called Social Security. Social Security, the granddaddy of universal basic income programs, was started during the New Deal era for the elderly. Before Social Security, people often purchased what was called old age insurance. It was an insurance policy that would pay out during old age when people were unable to work. Obviously, one had to have the means to pay on an insurance policy for decades before using it. For those who were too poor to afford the insurance or who lost their policies due to the Great Depression, old age could be a time of starvation and reduced living circumstances due to the loss of income from being unable to work. Social Security was meant to be the stopgap against that so that the elderly would have, no matter what, some income. The program was paid for by people paying Social Security taxes into the system over the whole of their working life, and then when they turned 65, the government would start paying the money every single month based on a predetermined schedule with regular cost of living increases. Now, Social Security isn't the only basic income program that has happened. There's also wealth dividends. <clears throat> For example, the state of Alaska distributes royalties from oil drilling to its residents. The payments can get as high as $6,000 a year when the price of oil is high and dip down to $2,000 when oil is cheap. Norway has a similar scheme where they put oil revenues into a sovereign wealth fund and use the money to help people, often with direct cash payments. 
Norway's scheme is less universal as they use it to fund various Scandinavian socialist programs. In Iran, when they phased out the subsidies on basic items like food and fuel in 2011, the government began cash transfers to people instead. The program did not reduce the labor market, despite that being the popular attitude, and it is the only program that is both universal and national at this time. Yeah, exactly. Um, with a, a basic income as a solution to that, I'm wondering uh, if you think that those are viable solutions to that issue, or if it, they miss something about the connection between the human subject and labor and uh, huh. technology, things like that. Uh, it's a very nice question, but a concrete question. And first, I have to admit that to give, I simply don't know enough to give you a precise answer. What just seems to me a strange fact, an elementary observation, is how in a, what I naively cling to as a rationally organized society, robotization, automatization, should have been great news. Like, fine, we will work less and so on. While for us, it's usually perceived as horror. We will not have to enough work and so on and so on. So, uh, so uh, I don't think that, although in principle I support basic income, but I don't think it's the solution. Basic income is really maybe it's a more intelligent, efficient version of capitalism where the idea is this, that if you take care of those who don't work through basic income, you can have a much more pure and tougher competition and efficient capitalism for the rest. One of the problems with getting a universal basic income off the ground is the moralistic attitude people have towards poverty. There are some quite negative assumptions we have about poverty in this country. Poverty is often viewed as a moral failing. If you're poor, you must be a bad person. This judgmental attitude has deep roots in religion. Protestantism and the work ethic it spawned held that God blessed good people with material resources. Bad people were not so blessed with resources, and therefore, if you were poor, God was withholding his blessing, and therefore you'd done something wrong. This attitude is obvious today in our attitudes towards existing welfare programs and the hesitancy with expanding those programs. In 1980, as Ronald Reagan was running for president, he promoted the idea of the, quote, welfare queen, or a person who was gaming the system to get the most out of it while not doing any work or trying to get back into work. This story was based on a woman who spent most of her time conning men into marrying her for their pensions, then she exploiting the welfare system created by LBJ under the Great Society. However, this myth about welfare recipients took hold in the national consciousness, and welfare-to-work programs blossomed in states and eventually at the national level in 1995 when Bill Clinton signed welfare reform which encouraged those programs. These moralistic attitudes towards the poor and poverty continue to this day. Giving people free, unattached money seems to fly in the very face of the idea. However, Despite that, some pilot programs for universal basic income have already begun. One of them is right here on the West Coast in Stockton, California. Using money from private donors and in conjunction with city resources, the city of Stockton gave $500 a month to 125 randomly selected residents who lived below the median in income for the town. A study afterwards concluded that it improved job prospects, reduced debt, and improved mental and physical health. Just this morning, as I was getting ready to record this, there was an interesting story from KNKX here in Tacoma 
about Tacoma's guaranteed income pilot, and a participant is interviewed about the progress. It says here, when Stephanie Bartella, 46, saw the news on Facebook that the city of Tacoma would be piloting a guaranteed income program, it seemed too good to be true. Quote, I thought, oh, this will never happen to me, unquote, Bartella said. But the single mom of four decided to apply anyway, and she was randomly selected to join the Growing Resilience in Tacoma, or GRIT program. Every month for the past six months, $500 has been showing up in her bank account. The money has no strings attached and is for her to spend as she pleases, courtesy of the city. Even now, Bartella doesn't quite believe it. Quote, there's that fear that if this isn't real and I had to pay it back, I don't have it, unquote. The GRIT program is one of dozens of experiments around universal basic income currently being piloted by mayors across the country. Tacoma's program is funded by a mix of grants and private donors, including 500000 from Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey. It's being studied by independent researchers at the University of Pennsylvania. <clears throat> For the pilot, 110 Tacoma families were selected. All recipients are from one of four zip codes, 98404, 98405, 98409, or 98408. They are single-income households with children where the adult is working, but their income is still between 100% and 200% of the federal poverty level. Bartella works full-time at a small college. She felt like she was right on track. She'd gotten out of an unhealthy relationship, went back to school, and bought a home, but she was still contemplating getting a second full-time job to make ends meet. Quote, I was still putting my utility payment on my credit card, unquote, Bartella said. I was still, like, making all these decisions of, what don't I do, what can't I have, unquote. With the extra $500 a month, Bartella is able to cover her family's basic needs and to help pull herself out of debt. That's the best use of a program like this, according to Tacoma Mayor Victoria Woodards. There's no concern that a guaranteed income of this amount would pull someone out of the workforce entirely. Quote, people are just trying to get ahead, unquote, Woodards said. Intelligent conversation about that, right? Because the lefties say, oh, oh too much inequality. And they need to be listened to because the evidence is quite clear. If you let the inequality ramp up enough, the whole system destabilizes because the people at the bottom think, fuck it, we'll just, we'll just flip the system upside down. Right. No one wants that. Like right-wing conservatives don't want that. So because you could make a Republican argument and say, don't let the inequality in your neighborhood get out of hand because the crime rate will skyrocket. And the, the empirical evidence on that is overwhelmingly strong. Inequality drives crime. Now, you can, say, you can argue about why, but the fact that it does, is that's not disputable. So we could have an intelligent discussion between the left and the right, and the discussion would go something like this. You need innovation. You pay for innovation with inequality. But you need to bind inequality because if it's too intense, then things destabilize. It's like, okay, we could agree on that. We've got the parameters set. Now we have to, now we have to start thinking very carefully through how to do the redistribution issue, and we don't know how to do that. So you might say, well, we have a guaranteed annual income for people, which I think is a horrible solution, by the way. But it addresses the right problem. The problem is, is that we're hyperproductive, but the spoils go to those at the top. And some of those resources need to be funneled down to the people who have zero so that they have an opportunity to at least get to the point where they can innovate and so the bloody, whole bloody thing doesn't wobble and fall. You know, so what's the idea? Oh, we'll get the government to print more money to give it to workers for them to spend with us. So what really happens? What is universal basic income? It's just a way of perpetuating our roles as consumers at the bottom of the pyramid, not as owners. If we're going to go to anything, I would say, what about universal basic assets? What about actual participation? What if the workers owned the means of production? So you don't just give them a handout. 
so that the money ends up in the same corporate coppers and going into the same shares. That's not the point. What, what universal basic income does, if you look at the whole model, is allows the people who own the lion's share of our world to own more and more of it. Abigail Lawson is running the program for the United Way of Pierce County and has observed how the families are spending the extra money. Most, like Bartella, are putting it towards basic needs. Quote, when I was onboarding one of our recipients, she and her daughter were houseless, unquote, Lawson said. Quote, and the last time that I chatted with them, they were in a safe apartment, unquote. One woman took her elderly mother across the country to attend a close friend's funeral. One family is saving for a down payment on a home. Lawson said the most luxurious spend was a family with six kids that went ice skating for the first time after Christmas. While she hasn't made any extravagant purchases, Bartella said she does feel some discomfort sharing her participation in the program. She's only told a few close friends and family. She questioned whether she actually deserved the unrestricted money. Quote, it was a huge leap to get past the guilt and shame of who am I to accept this, unquote, Bartella said. Quote, there is this assumption that you always have to be doing something to be deserving of receiving, and it's just strange because we are always doing something. We are, unquote. A guaranteed basic income isn't a new idea, Bartella said when she first heard about it during Andrew Yang's presidential campaign. Other localities in Washington have tried similar programs. There's also a pilot program in Finland. Uh, they recently tried a two-year two basic income proposal in trade for some of the welfare programs. It was studied and found to be a very good thing, but they ultimately decided not to proceed on with it. Canada also tried a program in 1974 for the residents of the town of Dauphine, Manitoba. If anyone was below a certain threshold, they would give them money with no strings attached. The new money was a boom to the small town that was described as, quote, 100 miles too far from anywhere, unquote. People started businesses, took their children to the dentist, and there was an 8.5% reduction, reduction in hospitalizations. When the experiment ended in 1979 due to rising costs and a fall in the price of oil, the town rolled up shop in short order. Only a year later, many residents had left for economically better pastures. One of the biggest questions people ask about UBI is about inflation. Won't all this extra money floating around in the economy cause price inflation? The theory goes that landlords will charge more rent when they know people have the UBI to pay. Others fear that more money floating around in the economy will keep inflation higher, meaning that over time spending power will decrease. Sadly, this question will not likely be answered until larger experiments are started, especially a national experiment. However, it would indicate, based upon all the money we sent out during the pandemic, that you cannot print money forever and not have inflation. Much of the inflation happening right now is a nasty combination of the war in Ukraine, pandemic supply chain issues, and also the amount of money floating around. The Federal Reserve is busily trying to take liquidity out of the system in order to control inflation consistently sending out $2,000 a month to 336 million people would certainly, based upon our experiences right now, have some inflationary effect. Andrew Yang would rather eliminate all welfare programs and just give people money. Theoretically, under this system, no new money would be going into the economy. 
However, in a system where every adult, no matter who, received a check from the government, that would inject new money into the system, especially for those already working. For the upper middle class, this money would likely flow into assets, pushing asset prices higher. We've already seen what can happen with that. On the poorer end, it would circulate into the economy and generate economic growth, which would also cause inflation. For the middle class, it would push some people into a higher tax bracket, which would have a deflationary effect, although not enough to really counteract the inflationary effect from the other two groups. Was used. Michael Tubbs, the former mayor of Stockton, piloted the experiment to fight poverty. A little background on Mr. Tubbs. He started his political career on the Stockton City Council, his hometown. During his 2016 mayoral campaign, he received an endorsement from then-President Barack Obama. Once elected, he became the city's youngest and first black mayor. He rose to political stardom for his progressive policies like universal basic income and became the focus of an HBO documentary called Stockton On My Mind. Oh, and hmm. by the way, this all happened before <laughs> he turned 30. So <laughs> with that, <laughs> let's talk about the results. Um, what did you ultimately end up seeing people spending their money on? So 99% of all the dollars spent were spent on literal necessities, on food, on utilities, on transportation, on touring for children. And we saw that all these lies that people were saying about what would happen, that people would spend money on drugs and alcohol, were just not true. That the vast majority of people made decisions like us because we're all people. And folks, particularly folks who are one paycheck away, like half of Americans from one $500 emergency eating everything, know how to spend money on necessities. And the issue isn't that people don't know how to manage money, it's that people don't have enough money to manage. Our next step was to find out what the researchers think about the universal basic income experiment so far. Kayla is the arm of the Finnish government that's implementing the trial. So we are at the office here at Kayla in Helsinki. We're about to meet with one of the main researchers now. Researcher Miska Simamainen said he won't actually hear from any of the participants until the trial concludes at the end of 2018. But the experiment has already revealed one of the biggest issues with universal basic income, funding. We had to make many practical compromises during the design process of the experiment. Researchers only had enough funding to hand out cash to 2,000 people, and they chose to limit their sample to participants who were unemployed. Do you envision a world where eventually there could be everyone in Finland has universal basic income? There is a strong consensus uh, between political parties that the current social security system uh, should be reformed. But we found there is disagreement about how to reform the system. Is the idea that universal basic income is actually going to take the place of some of the other benefits here in, in Finland. That's the way that the discussion is, that if we're going to give you uh, universal basic income, then we're going to cut from other sectors. This is Antti Ohanen. He's the author of a book about welfare in Finland. He sees universal basic income not as a way to replace the current welfare system, but as an added benefit. Our path shouldn't be to create low-wage jobs, but, but to really you know, improve education and improve people's skills. And I think giving uh, the kind of freedom that true universal basic income would provide might help with that. It looks like the trial is off to a good start here, 
But it still seems like it's a long way away from universal basic income being universal here in Finland. So based upon all that we've heard and read about universal basic income, what are the final thoughts that we can conclude? Well, let's have a think about this. Getting rid of welfare programs and just giving people money sounds like a good idea. Giving the working class a lift up is, also seems like a good idea. But we also know from the payments from the pandemic with extended unemployment and stimulus checks and all this type of thing, inflation can and will happen and will eventually catch up. Unfortunately, we don't know how much of inflation is being caused by the extra money floating around or is being caused by pandemic supply chain issues and an inconvenient land war in Europe. It will take time for us to figure out what is going to go on with all of that. There are certainly risks. As I said, the upper middle class will spend money on assets. The middle class may pay more in taxes, and that will deflate somewhat, but is not going to get rid of inflation entirely. The poor will have it circulating in the economy, which will cause economic growth and also cause inflation. And most tellingly, Finland, a country known for its luxurious social programs, tried it for two years and ultimately tried not to continue with it. I think however we decide to do with income and face the threats of the fourth industrial revolution, people still need meaning, value, and fulfillment in their lives. And whether we like it or not, a lot of that comes from work and having something that they do that they enjoy. Now, I do think that having payments for cares of the elderly and small children and all this type of thing would definitely make things a lot easier for a lot of families. And perhaps a program of that description would be a good idea. But I think it is still a broadly a good idea to encourage people to have some sort of work, to have something to do, some place to go, and some place to be. I think there is so much value in being able to feel like you're a part of society and that you're doing something. But it should be well compensated. It should be somewhat enjoyable. It should reduce stress, not increase stress in life. And perhaps there's an aspect of universal basic income that could help with that. But I think no matter what we do, we need to make sure that whatever we do with UBI is going to measurably improve people's lives and not make them worse. That's all for this episode of the Cameron Journal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I love to talk to my followers and listeners, so please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Cowan on Twitter. And we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal Podcast.